right, coming up on this next song, I got my daughter here. She's 10 years old. She's going to come join me. In a Stupid punk rock. I don't, you know, I just think of it as rock and roll because that's what it is. Neighbors. Your answer is non sequitur. All right, Stan with the Punk Rock Chronicles back again for another cool episode. I'm stoked on this one. Um, but first, before we get started with our uh, introducing our new our guest today, I'm going to introduce our normal cohort. So we've got Bob the Bastard. Hey. Shrom Shrizzle. <laughs> shriz, a shriz. <laughs> the shriz. And then we're stoked. We got uh, Jayhawk from the Infirmities who came down tonight for this interview. And we've been talking... For quite a few years, and uh, he was going to be on our podcast three years ago before COVID hit, and uh, just uh, it was bad timing. But we're stoked he's here now, and I, I'm looking forward to hear what he's got going on. So, uh, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing great, man. It was uh, the drive was smooth. So, you know. By the way, he drove from Salinas. Yep. <laughs> to Lake Forest, California, guys. Nice. That is not around the corner, yeah. man. Yeah, you're, think, man. you're a Trooper, bro. He's a badass, that's for sure. No, we we're stoked. It. Yeah, we're stoked that he uh, he he came down, um, met with us, or to meet with us. And I guess the big thing is, um, let's just get started, man. How how did you start Infirmities? Uh, so we've been a band for eleven years. Uh, started in my hometown, streets of Salinas, California. Uh, originally, it was all members from Salinas. They created the sound uh, and. You know, we created about a 30-minute set. We started playing gigs, um, made our first demo. My dad owns a recording studio, so we recorded with my dad the first couple songs. And then um, pretty much I, I decided that I wanted to take us to L.A. every weekend. The band thought I was crazy. So the only guy that stuck around was the bass player. And he's like, the rest of them were like, that's ah, kind of a crazy idea there, Jay. So you want to go every weekend? I said, yeah, every single weekend, Friday, Saturday. Just we're always going to be going south so at that point uh the original guitarist was like you know what i'll train anybody up on guitar just bring them to my garage bring me a kid from high school that wants to jump in the band and go every weekend and i'll, I'll train them on the riffs so uh it was kind of like taking all the ninja turtles to master splinters uh little hut there and he would train them up and, and it, it was it was good yeah that's right it worked out you know before we move on with the infirmities, so when you grew up, did your dad have a studio as you were growing up as well, or is this later in life? Yeah, um, my dad always had a recording studio. Um, my dad was in punk rock bands before I was born. So back in like 1975, 76, uh, my dad was in a band called God Devil, where they all painted their face like skeletons and wore like black cloaks and stuff. It's pretty crazy. I got some pictures. <laughs> Uh, and then he was in another band called Red Sun, talking about like the atomic blast, so then the sun's red. So he had this band called Red Sun. Um, 
And then I was born in 77, and my dad by then had moved on to doing um, some original reggae music. Uh, so he kind of switched gears. I had a band called Battle Cry in like 1982, 83. Oh, that's very cool. Um, so I grew up going to a lot of like punk rock shows, but I also went to a lot of reggae shows too, like Jimmy Cliff and Steel Pulse and uh, just a lot of the original people I got to see when I was young. Did you know early on that you were going to follow your dad's path? Um, pretty much, I think so. I mean, I always was around music. You know, I grew up in a in a house where dad was always in bands. Dad was always recording bands or he was traveling in bands. And um, pretty much uh, when I got into punk rock by age 11, um, of course, Dad approved of it because he came from being a punk rock himself. So. I had a rare situation where the dad was cool. To He's like, I raised you right. All right. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's interesting. That's yeah, like the first wave of like father or son, you know, yeah. with the punk rock generation. I mean, you see a lot more of that now, right? You see like yeah. people our age with kids. Oh, yeah. So, um, so what were some of the early influences that uh, got you to even want to play punk? Um, uh, the year that I got into punk rock, I mean, most of us kids were just coming home watching MTV videos and the stuff that was on MTV was like Def Leppard and Bon Jovi and all the big hair stuff. And, but I was getting into skateboarding and my best friend, Chad Ruiz, who's now in Europe and bass player. Um, I was in San Diego at the time and Chad got me into punk rock through skateboarding. Um, he was sponsored by Vision when we were kids, and um, so he'd give me all the skateboards when he got tired of them. They'd give him new decks, <laughs> and he had a half pipe in his backyard. So he was like the one that came over and was like, all right, turn that crap off and put this on. <laughs> and he brought the Sex Pistols record over. Uh, so the first time I ever heard punk rock was Never Mind the Bullocks. He brought the album over. Um, and it was something just about Johnny Rotten's voice. It just kind of like, I never heard nothing like that at that time, being 11 years old. So uh, I made him trade. I, I gave him a bunch of my cassettes for that one record. Do you remember some of the cassettes yeah. you traded? I mean, <laughs> everybody has like dumb stuff. Yeah, of course. Yeah, like 10. I mean, Michael Jackson. Paul yeah, Jackson. like, I was like to hear what. Well, there was, there was like, I mean, this is still when, like, there was like old school hip hop going on still. Yeah, like, yeah. Like, oh, probably right. like something, I don't know. Fat Boys. The Fat Boys. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say probably like. <laughs> I had fat, some Fat Boys. Fat Boys cassette. <laughs> I don't I remember it was like 10 cassettes again for one record. Because yeah. he didn't want to trade me the record. Yeah. And I convinced him to trade it to me. So, yeah. So, how long before you decided you were going to start playing music? And was singing your first goal or did you have other instruments you played um well i my dad put a lot of instruments in front of me like guitar and drum sets and i mean i would mess around on them for fun um but i think it was more my mom who noticed that like when music would come on the tv like i i'd get on the couch or i'd grab my mom's mop or i'd try to be like the singer pretend the mop was like a mic stand and I think I always wanted to be a frontman more than I wanted to be like a drummer or a guitar player. Um, my dad was frustrated though because he could play guitar and drums and sing. So he's always like, "How come he's not like, he's not latching on to this?" You know, like, well, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, uh, you know. But but I think that's normal for a father. Um, and basically, I I kind of just I just stuck to wanting to do that. Um, I started out though um, 
interesting. I started out in hip hop first. I didn't have a band in the beginning, and I was actually doing um, like conscious hip hop and stuff. I was into like KRS-One and Public Enemy. That's why you see this PE right there. Nice. Oh, yeah. So I saw Public Enemy live in San Diego um, when the Fear of a Black Planet album came out. I went to that tour with my dad, right. my dad and my best friend Chad, and so. A lot of this, the hip hop that's coming out back then was like, it was all message oriented. You know what I mean? Not to say that it isn't now, it's just things change. And um, so I started out getting into that. I was always into message oriented stuff that grew up around it, like from reggae to the old school hip hop to even when I got into punk rock, I got into it because it was like a form of music where I could express a, a message. You know what I mean? So I've always been into that. I find it fitting that you mentioned KRS One since Kara's one has ties to uh punk rock at least a hardcore scene really they works with he works with sick of it all okay. blood set flood no tears um he did an opening to one of their songs right mm -hmm. um and uh that was in 89 i think <clears throat> and i think there's there's more similarities in old school hip-hop to punk rock than people realize as right. far as messaging and like you said, conscious hip hop. Right. Um, and, and although it went it, it went out of control a little bit later and it was popping bottles and money and mm -hmm. this and that, back then it was more about a message and a relaying of what was happening in yeah. reality on the streets, which is not any different than street level punk rock. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I, I moved from San Diego back to my hometown and we lived there for about three years. Um, I went there because I was going to an art school. In second grade, I was like doing a lot of doodles on my homework. I was always behind in like certain areas, like I was slow in certain areas, but I could always draw. Right. So my teachers had a parent-teacher conference and they told my parents, you know, we think he'd be good in art school. Um, you know, he's slow in other areas when he, we call on his name to answer questions, but he keeps selling his drawings at recess. So I would like put up my drawings on the wall and then I'd sell them for 50 cents. So like in second grade, all my friends would buy the drawings. A lot of them were like garbage peel kids. I would just draw them bigger. That'd be cool. And then people <laughs> like the would, would buy them, you know what I mean? <laughs> That's so, awesome, man. So, yeah, so, that, so I started making money early when I like. You were hustling right at an early yeah, age, awesome. man. Cool. Yeah, and so through that, the, the teachers were like, we think you should be recommended for a fine art school. So we went from Salinas to San Diego so I could go to that school. And my dad um, formed his new band in San Diego when we got there. So dad had a mission to kind of expand his his band in San Diego. I went to art school. And then my little brother was born around the same time. And eventually we moved back home because my little brother was like, well, most of our family's back home in Salinas. So so my brother would be closer to his grandmother and stuff like that. So he was was dad a full-time musician or? Yeah, well, he always he was always in bands and he only worked at music stores. <laughs> so, oh, okay. so, so he would sell instruments at stores. Yeah, he met a lot of musicians at music stores too. Uh, like Jimmy Hendrix's dad, Al Hendrix, um, had a thing. He used to work in this place called Daddy's Guitars. It's in San Diego. And they had Al Hendrix come and do like some kind of thing with the new guitar that came out for Jimmy. And I remember Al stayed at our house. We had the drummer from Oingo Boingo stay at our house. Right. Oh, well. um, and we always got free tickets to concerts, so that was good, you know. Nice. Anytime there was a concert that came to SDSU, Right. My dad would get hooked up with tickets, so that was pretty sweet. Yeah. So this sounds like uh, this was just your destiny, man. Like, 
Well, you do hustle, yeah. you know, I mean, you're, yeah. you're, you, you do put a lot of uh, time and, and effort into it, you know, and it's noticeable. Um, so you, you start Infirmities 11 years ago, and what were your first shows like? Um, so we started in my hometown. There's not a whole lot of venues to play back home. Uh, so we started at some pizza joints. Uh, that would let us just kind of do some punk shows in there. We did one at a place called American American Burger, which was like not in Salinas, it's in Monterey. Um, and uh, we weren't really, I had been in street punk bands before this band. Um, so I already knew like, if we write songs that are short, fast, you know, that's what we need so we can keep the circuit going. The only problem with that kind of formula is because all our songs had to be under two minutes. We kind of made a rule in the beginning. And so, you know, it took a long time just to get to like eight songs. <laughs> so, so we did like, I think our first show we only had eight songs. And everyone's like, play it again, play it again. Because we're like, all right, that's it. So we got, and they're like, do it again. So we did all eight twice so they could keep going. Uh, so we knew we had the formula pretty good from the beginning because people were pitting, you know what I mean? Um, and then the first time I took it to Los Angeles, I wasn't really sure why they weren't pitting. So <laughs> the first time we came to LA, we played at CY Festival uh, for Nacho Corrupted, and he gave us a chance. He never heard us before, but total chaos had vouched for me because I was old friends with those guys from other bands I was in. They said, yeah, just, just put Jason on. We haven't heard his band either, but... You know, he's an old friend, just just get him in the festival. So I I came in high regard, he got me in. It was last minute, because the festival was already full, but infirmities made it in. And I remember thinking, all right, we're gonna do this thing. And like, everyone just like stood there and stared at us. Like we're on stage doing our thing. And they were just like staring the whole time. Like, man, they didn't pit at all. So like, I went kind of home, like discouraged, like, man, I thought we had the right formula. So, but what it really was by the next time we came, the pit just like went off and i think the first show we ever played in la people had never seen us they didn't know who we were and they didn't know where we're from so they were just like staring like who are these guys yeah. they just wanted to watch it the first time uh, but by the second time yeah we had it we had a pretty gnarly pit i got well, pretty tied up pretty good <laughs> yeah, uh, so. so who came up with the name um and, and what what why so so i had a i had a friend named stephen castro who wanted to start this band uh, with us on guitar and he had come up with a couple names um at the time i was just finishing another band i'd been in for seven years and uh i was about to become a father for the first time so i was kind of like thinking all right i'm taking a break <laughs> but then my buddy steven's like come on man make a band with me right now i was like nah you know what? i'm not really sure i'm like want to do that right now um, and then I had Troy. Troy Salas was the bass player. He was the youngest guy in the band. And he had always been pushing me for like six, seven years to make a band with him, but I never had time. And he was a really phenomenal bass player. He's on all the original recordings. Um, he grew up loving like RKL, Matt Freeman style uh, bass playing uh, from Rancid, that kind of bass playing. So those were like his heroes. So he wanted to be able to play that fast and do bass solos and fills that fast. And he achieved that at a really young age. So he used to call me Pops because he was a lot younger than I was. So he's like, come on, Pops, you know, 
make a battle with me. Come on, come on. And you keep bugging me and bugging me. I'm like, all right, fine, let's do it, let's do it. Um, then uh, we had to find the right guitar player. He wanted somebody his age. I go, nah, we need somebody my age, bro. <laughs> I'm like, if we're going to play the kind of style of punk rock that I want to do in my head, we need somebody my age or somebody a little older even. So uh, right away I recruited... Uh, He's pretty much an OG back home as far as guitar playing goes. His name's Art Ruiz, and uh, I've been friends with him for like 30 years. He grew up in the 80s, originally going to the hardcore shows. He's the only guy I knew in my hometown that could probably come up with the riffs the way I wanted him to be and wanted him to sound. And uh, so we got together, we formed infirmities between Troy's bass playing, at those guitar riffs, and uh, it just came together quickly. Awesome. That's I was going to ask you, you kind of touched on it, but I was going to ask when you kind of conceptualized the band and started it, did you have a specific thing you were going for, you know, like a, a mission for the band as far as the way you wanted it spe specifically to sound and maybe messages of the songs? or Well, I think when people see the band, they kind of think, you know, it's a new band or a new sound or something like that. One thing I did try to go for was I wanted to feel like in those 30 minutes that you came to see us live that you were gonna, you were like, was like watching like a punk rock time machine. So I wanted in those 30 seconds to, to cover all different spans of punk rock. So my mission with this band was that I'd already been in like punk rock bands my whole life. Like I've been singing in punk bands for 32 years now. Infirmities has been the last 11 years, but before that, I was in street punk bands, I was in all different types of bands. And so I think you reach a certain point in your life where you you know what works. Maybe there was one song from every band I was in that always worked great at that party. And so I kept that and I brought it back into Infirmities and I changed some of the lyrics to kind of fit wherever my life was at the time as opposed to where it was when I was 15. So some of the songs we play were written back when I was like 15 years old. Yeah. And they were brought back because they always worked in people's houses and garages when I was a kid. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So it was just like recycled right back in. It was like a formula where I wanted a little bit of, little bit of crust, a little bit of crossover, a little bit of, you know, it had your street core in there. It has uh, your old school hardcore, punk rock hardcore. It has everything in there, even a little bit of your 90s punk rock, but not much, just enough right. to give it that blend. So my thing was about uh, keeping every song under two minutes and from the time you walked into our set to the time you left we'd reach every single person in the audience in those 30 minutes so That's it awesome. never it never got boring because every song was a different era in the punk rock time machine awesome so that was That's my great. theory of it but it also came from just singing in punk bands my whole life so I was like I want something different that it's going to keep their attention right What's uh what specific bands like are your were your influences like that really uh you gravitated towards? Um I think Minor Threat was one of my favorite ones just because they did something different. Uh their sound was different, you know, it's I think we all wish there was more minor threat recordings, but whatever's out there's out there. And if you know got demos and all this other stuff. But uh I liked what they stood for. I mean, because at the time I was listening to like the Sex Pistols or or Misfits or Dead Kennedys, but then you had like someone like Minor Threat where the message was different, the sound was different. Um, I did like Dead Kennedys a lot. I 
you know, East Bay Ray's guitar playing combined with Jello's message was just very unique. You know, the fact that his favorite band was the Beach Boys and he implemented that into the, the sound of Dead Kennedys, it really made a difference. Um, uh, but I grew up on everything, the germs, I like the germs, I like GBH, I had, I had a lot of punk rock friends that were older than me that went to shows at Gilman in the early 80s, and they were all giving me mixtapes, so when I came back to Salinas, they'd all have me mixtapes of like old school punk rock, and that's how I found out like GBH and the germs and stuff like that, so... Um, there's just so many influences, and I'd be here all day. Exploited is one of them, and we're playing with them uh, in a couple of weeks here, and I'm right. pretty excited to. It's our first time playing with Wadis, so that's huge. Yeah, so that's pretty exciting. So you played all over. Where are some of your favorite spots to play in California? Uh, California, we've gone up and down the coast mm -hmm. uh, many times. Uh, we do love San Diego because uh, I used to live there. It's fun. I visit visit friends. Uh, relatives there. My best friend still lives there. Shout out to Chad. Uh, well, like I said, he plays bass in Urethane now with Steve Caballero. Right. And, oh, wow. um, so that's cool. You got to them around. Oh, great band. We've seen him a few times. Yeah. 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 So I grew up with Chad, and he's actually the best man in my wedding uh, almost 25 years ago was Chad. Oh, wow. That's, that's uh, cool. Shout Very out cool. to my wife that we're almost 25 years now married. Nice. You played a lot of, <laughs> did you play a lot? Did you play, like, did Gilman Street? Yeah, we did Gilman. So when we, when Infirmity started, um, we wanted to hit Gilman Street right away. So the first, first two years, uh, we did a show at Gilman. Uh, Mike from Oppressed Logic got us into Gilman Street, and Mike was an old friend too. And so uh, we played with ZBS, uh, Skin and Bones, Infirmities. And then we went back to Gilman two or three times after that. We played there with uh, uh, HR Bad Brains, went back there and played with, D with Decry. Uh, Gilman was a pretty familiar spot for us in the beginning. Um, and then we kind of started branching out to other spots. Like uh, in the East Bay area, we like playing at Winters. Winters Tavern is like our favorite spot. Uh, it's, like a, it's like a punk rock CBGBs of the Bay. Right. Like, it's just got this cool vibe. It's a really fun bar. We hear a lot about Orange County. That's where we're centered. Yeah. It's where our bands are, it's where our documentary is, sure. is basically centered on. But we don't hear a lot about the Gilman Street, Northern California, you know, Frisco type of scene. Yeah. And it's nice to hear that. Are the crowds a lot different than out here for you? I would say so. Um, I would say that when we, I mean, when we first started playing out here, I had played like, certain spots like the doll hut with my older bands then i came back with the infirmities and brought a different sound in to the some of the same venues we started playing like the tiki bar with doa or um you know different spots out here right uh, we used to play um it's closed now with the carmen bar yeah we used to play there a lot we yeah. played there with the dicky played there with GF, jfa i played there with mdc um you know that was one of our favorite little spots awesome so uh, yeah, but I don't know. Yeah, it's different. I mean, uh, in terms of like, I don't know, it's weird. Everywhere you go, it's, it's just, there is a different vibe. You right. know what I mean? From right. like San Francisco or the East Bay area. Um, even in my hometown, it's it's a different vibe than, than yeah. everywhere else I go. Um, I used to throw punk shows in my area. So for about 20 years, 25 years, I started when I was 19. 
Um, I was always driving to punk shows. Well, I didn't have a car, but I had friends drive me. <laughs> my friends would give me a ride to punk shows. Yeah. We always had to go to like Santa Cruz or, or the Bay Area to see good bands. So one day I was like frustrated. I was like 19. I'm like, why are we always going somewhere else? Like, why don't we just throw it here? So I started making phone calls and I got the U.S. bombs to come to my area. Youth Brigade came. Um, I got um, Final Conflict came. Naked Aggression came. Angry Samoans came, and I just really wanted the scene to be strong in my area. You know, I was 19 years old, and we got it pretty strong and solid for a while. We'd have like 400 kids in a room, um, and I had an indoor skate park where all the bands would play in the middle of a half pipe. Nice. I was about to ask you where you where you yeah, set up to play. It's you called know, the Skate show. Station. It's no longer there. It's cool. torn down now. But what year was this? Uh, 1997. Oh, okay. Yeah. 1996, 97. That is cool. I like that. Yeah. I like that idea too. Instead of traveling around to other scenes, you thought, let's just point our flag here. Yeah. Build our scene here. And that's a, that's a, that's commendable. Yeah. I, I, I tried my best. We had a lot of great shows until the cops finally said, you know, you need a permit. <laughs> Always. They yeah, said, you no need a permit. You can apply. It's a thousand dollars. You might get denied. I'm like, I don't have a thousand dollars. Right. Yeah. That's crazy. <laughs> that was it. So. Oh, just the fee to apply was was a thousand dollars. If oh they accepted, if they accepted it, cool. But you didn't get the money back, so like, yeah. none of us had the money. So yeah, yeah, oh, like a racket. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> so with infirmities, you guys recorded. Uh, you guys are with uh, Malt Soda. Is that? Can yeah. you talk about that relationship? Yeah. So we, um, our our first our first real recording are, uh, of eight songs. We recorded with Miguel Conflict and Total Chaos. He has a studio out here in, in L.A. And um, some of our first shows were with them because Rob and Sean and the guys, we've been friends for a long time, way before infirmities. <laughs> so another uh, uh, street punk band I was in from Salinas, we were called uh, Los Vigilantes. Vigilantes used to tour with Total Chaos uh, back in the day. So we had our history with them. And so when I formed this band, it, it was just kind of like, you know, I had a new band. And, we linked up and did shows right away. Um, so we recorded with Miguel. Um, I had a demo with eight songs, and we were shopping it around, trying to find someone to put it out. And it was actually uh, Dave Dalton from uh, Die Laughing Records, Scream Bloody Marys. He uh, he recommended, why don't you send it to Scooter Buell from Malt Soda, because his old band, Cell Block 5, was on Malt Soda. So he gave me Scooter's email and I sent him one of our songs. And uh, nothing really happened at first. And I thought, huh, maybe he didn't like it, who knows. And then, uh, so I got his phone number and I called him and he said, you know, I, I don't think I ever got that email. I don't think I ever heard it. <laughs> and he's like, so how about this? I'll listen to it tonight. And if I like it, I'll call you back like around seven or eight or something. So I'm at home, it's like 7.30, my guys. So the phone rings, and then Scooter's like, that song kicked my ass. Like, I haven't heard a song I really like in a long time. He's like, I haven't signed any new bands on Malt Soda because they just don't fit with the other bands on the label. But that song, right when I heard it, he's like, I had to call you right back. He's like, and I've already made another phone call before I called you back. And I go, okay, well, who'd you call? <laughs> he goes, well, I just got off the phone with Sammy Town from Fang, and 
he's vouching for you. He said he's already played shows with infirmities, and he says we should sign you. And uh, so he told me, Sammy vouched for you, then and I vouch for you. You're in. You're in Minnesota. So I'll put out the record. We'll do a seven inch. Awesome. Um, and uh, we were the rookie, you know, band on the label. So he pretty much uh, made a deal where I think we paid half and he paid half. You know, we were kind of a band. He just took a chance on. Um, but he knew that one of the things Sammy told him was that, you know, if you sign them, they'll sell records. So let's play a lot of shows. That guy works really hard. We've played with Jason a few times, played with his band. And I can tell you that if you press them, they'll be gone. The guy plays a lot. So that was a lot already to be said. So Scooter was like, let's do it. Um, of course, I thanked Sammy right after. I, I wasn't yeah. expecting that. You can't ask for a better recommendation than that. Yeah. So uh, how do things change? Like when that album came out, did you get big, bigger shows, better shows? Well, you know, it's interesting. For We played so many shows without any recordings out there. We played a lot of backyards in like East LA, South Central, Compton, Watts. We did all kinds of backyard shows in the beginning. My biggest thing was coming out here was like, we have to start at the bottom and we got to start in the backyards because if the kids if the kids actually hear it and they love your guys' sound, they're the ones that are going to talk about the band. And I didn't want to come to clubs in the beginning. Like I didn't want to start in any of the bars. I wanted to be in the backyard with all the kids. So my goal was like, um, we got to start from the streets first. And so we came straight from the streets of Salinas to like Compton, South Central, Watts, East LA. Uh, Nacho helped us get us backyard shows. Some kids would tell other kids, and then we ended up playing their backyard. Right. And we were just trying to build from the bottom. Yeah. And it worked. So after about a year of that, um, everyone started asking, you know, do you have a do you have a CD? Do you have a recording? <laughs> and we did, but we were holding on to it. We didn't we didn't <laughs> want to let it out prematurely. So we it, we did it really backwards. We had built up a fan base before the record ever came out. So we just kept playing shows and shows and everyone kept asking for the record. So when it finally came out, they were gone pretty fast because people have been waiting already for like a year, you know, so it was kind of backwards. Seems like a smart strategy. Yeah, actually, I was going to say, man, I think that makes sense. To, you, uh, yeah, that's a great way to do it. To that's a way, way to sell fan. records. Yeah, because yeah. you want to build your, your spot. kind of solid, devoted fan base first yeah. from the ground up. And you created a need for it. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, that that's, no, that was, that was smart. So that's so yeah, it's a measure of success there. And then um, how'd it go from there? It was good. We also did something backwards where you we didn't make our songs available digitally. Like all these bands were putting their songs on Spotify and all this stuff. And we're like, nah, let's do something backwards. So you had to buy the vinyl record to get a free digital download card inside the record. But you couldn't buy the songs digitally unless you bought the vinyl. So we went backwards. Yeah, right. We flipped it. Yeah. So we would have someone come to the merch table and like, I don't even have record player. I'm like, well, that's all right. Put it on your wall or make yeah. it into a Frisbee. I'm like, there's a card inside this. Yeah. So if you pay 10 bucks, you get eight songs. There's a card inside. You get a free patch and a free sticker, too. I go, so if you don't want the record, who cares? Just, you know, make it a Frisbee. And you can still download the songs Smart. when you get home. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. we made it like that. So like that's awesome, most man. kids bought the record just because of that. Yeah. Yeah, that's well, cool. That's smart too, man. Really. I think that was really, yeah, that's two really good business decisions that I don't yeah. see other bands doing. 
Well, you're like a, I mean, you're a graphic designer, so you're all about marketing. So it sounds like you're using your marketing skills to market your band and promote. Yeah, yeah for, for a second, let's, let's detour away from the band and talk a little bit about what you're doing outside of that, which is what Stan says. You're a graphic designer. We know that because we've worked with you. Sure. Um, so uh, that's how you support yourself as well, right? Yeah, well, that's all I do for a living. So um, I, I touched a little bit on art school when I was a kid, right? So I was always an artist. Uh, I went to art school, fine art school as a kid, just for like one or two years. Moved back from San Diego to Salinas. And um, right out of high school, well, my senior year, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I was only always into like art or music is all I really loved. <laughs> So, you know, when they send you to like the counselor and you're like a senior yeah, and they make you go to like, talk to the counselor about your future or something. Yeah, <laughs> so, been there. Yeah, so, so, so like, you know, they call, no you, future. They call you out of class, right? Really and you're supposed to go to the office to talk yeah, to yeah. some lady, right? And like high school to me was like, I mean, I don't know. It was like in high school, I, w I was like the only punk rocker on my campus when I was like a junior. And I took a lot of heat during that year being the only punk rocker on campus. Uh, and in my in my school, we had like a lot of like mixture of kids. You know, there was there was like the jocks and the hicks and the and, and like like it's just like I felt like I took a lot of heat that particular year for some reason. And then like when I came back as a senior, punk rock was all of a sudden like popular and trendy. Mm -hmm. And so those kids came in with like purple hair and it was all good. <laughs> like, <laughs> but like when I came in, it was right before that. Right. Yeah. So, uh, but for some reason, all these like uh, freshman kids, you know, they start, we start hanging out as well. Cause they're like, want to know who, who's that dude? Cause they were like fresh and I was like coming out of high school. So I formed this thing called Dead Valley Punks, which was, uh, it was just like a punk rock thing. I mean, it wasn't a gang or anything like that. We were just something where we got together, listened to punk rock crew. records, and pretty much having like a crew. And um, so I had formed that in high school. Um, and I got called out of class to go see the counselor. And she's like, you know, what are you good at? And I'm like, I don't know, like music, <laughs> art. <laughs> so she's like, have you ever thought of graphic design? I, I go, well, what is that? She's like, well, you get paid to do art on computers and, you know, you can make a living at that. And I was like, all right, I don't really like computers, but it sounds kind of cool. <laughs> so at the time they were saying computers were the future and we'd all laugh at them, you know, at the time the internet had just come out and it was super slow. It was like Netscape with like a yeah. little globe in the outer space. <laughs> 394 dial. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah so nobody really believed that computers and the internet was going to be what it is now mm, yeah. and uh but anyway i listened to the counselor and so right after my senior year um i ended up going straight to like hartnell college which is the local community college in salinas and i went straight into a multimedia graphic design program where i learned like photoshop and all the adobe stuff um and it started out as like me doing flyers for bands, started out as a hobby. Then I took on internships. So I worked for KSBW. Um, I worked for uh, Channel 8 News, KSBW. I looked for the, the local newspaper in my hometown, which was Salinas, California. Mm. And I was creating 
the entertainment section for the newspaper and I was creating graphics for the news uh, every night. So I had two jobs and I only had a bicycle. So, <laughs> so I would ride my bike from like my first job and then I'd ride my bike to the other job and then my the other job, then I'd ride my bike from that side of town to the other side of town to go home. I got to go under the bridge and my bike was like freezing three in the morning. I had one during the day and one at night. So I had two jobs. Wow. Um, but they were both graphic design. So I wanted to see if I could even make it in the real world doing that before I got into it. Like if I like it in the real world and I can keep up with it, then maybe I should really just do that. And then I liked it. So So you launched your own thing, which you're doing now, right? Yeah, I started my own business. Um, well, I worked for a lot of different companies first. I got my feet wet and then I went back to school, got my degree in graphic design um, in like 2000, 2002, something like that. And then I graduated in 2004. That school was in San Jose, Sunnyvale. And I came back home with this piece of paper that I thought was gonna like find me a good job or something. <laughs> And I applied to a couple of places, but they, they, they were like, well, we only want someone that has a master's degree. No, I didn't want to do any more school. Right. At the time I was 26 already. And I thought, you know, I think I know enough. I'm just going to try to make my own thing. Right. So I went down to the courthouse in Salinas and I got my business license and I, I started my business. I was, yeah, I was about 26. Awesome. I got my first office downtown. Uh, when I was 29. So I first started working from home, like 26, 27. I worked from home until I filled up a file cabinet. It was about as big as that little guy right there. And I wanted to fill it up with files until, um, once I knew I had enough clients, uh, my wife kind of made a deal with me because I was in the kitchen, uh, taking up the area where the kitchen table would go. <laughs> and we had this other little, uh, uh, what do you call that? You know, people eat on the stools on the, oh, yeah, little, like, like, a little, like a little breakfast counter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we would eat on that, you know, and instead of the kitchen table, I had a big desk right there where they make phone calls and, and try to get business. And so, um, but my wife had made a deal. She's like, as soon as you fill the fat, the file cabinet up, you know, I want you out of here. You know, I want you to get an office. <laughs> so one day it got filled up and she's like, all right, it's time to go. I'm like, what do you mean? I'm making a lot of money now. She's like, yeah, that's, that's the point. It's time to go. <laughs> yeah, nice. So she kind of made me go down to What's awesome is you're able to draw off of your, your um, association with music, punk rockers, right? Yeah. That was your bread and butter, right? So you started probably working with bands and mm -hmm. design for them, right? I would imagine, because that's what you've done for us as well. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah, well, just like now, I mean, I was playing in bands, so I knew bands. Mm. And everybody needed flyers or logo or whatever. Um, but one thing about going to college, learning the history of graphic design and learning about different eras of time, different designers, um, I got a real love for like Art Deco, uh, a lot of stuff like Sal Bass, who created a lot of the original motion picture uh, graphics that were like the sci-fi stuff. He made like the Vertigo poster oh, right. and stuff like that. So there were certain artists I learned about in history, but I was like, I really like this guy or I liked Warhol, or I liked people that were kind of like creating stuff that just had like a real pop to it. 
so I kind of made it a goal for myself. Like, I don't want to just be a designer. Like, I want to I want to specialize in a certain style of design. And so, right out of college, um, I specialize in, in vintage style and Art Deco, and um, you know, punk rock. I mean, like, I wanted stuff to pop. I knew how to mix certain bright colors. You know, I had learned enough in college about you know the color wheel and how to make things pop and i knew what certain colors meant and it was sent certain colors bring certain vibe when you look at them so after learning all that it was kind of like okay <laughs> i know what to do cool. you know what I mean? so it all kind of came together it's awesome that's awesome i could say school wasn't a waste of time it wasn't awesome. a lot of money it, but <laughs> it doesn't sound like a waste of it was a student loan <laughs> So you've done some cool traveling too with your band, right? You guys went to Europe, was it two years ago or? Yeah, we did it, well, right before COVID, we did 2018 and 2019. We did two uh, overseas tours. Um, we got invited to Rebellion for the first time in 2018, um, played the introdu introducing stage. Um, I took my wife and daughter on the road with us and my daughter uh, had been on stage with me since she was two years old. Um, and uh she hadn't actually sang with me though till we got to england and it wasn't really rehearsed or nothing like i never planned her to actually like go up there and do it but she told me she wanted to so we get to rebellion we, we did a whole tour of uh different parts of england uh germany uh we did uh belgium and uh we we had a driver the whole time so we had hired a a driver that, that lived in England. Mm. So he drove us around. Because when I was the first time going, I'm like, I don't know, I'm gonna get us lost. Like I don't, <laughs> I don't know if I I don't know if I can drive on the other side of the van. And I it just seemed too like Yeah. And then the and then the element of bringing your family, it's like, uh yeah, no, we need a driver. Like it's gotta be safe at least. So smart move. So we hired this guy named Ryan Price and um we had quite a surprise when we got to England. Our guitar player didn't make it into the country. He got sent back to Los Angeles. So right when we all arrived and the tour was about to start, we didn't have a guitar player. But thank God, our our driver was a guitar player. <laughs> wow. So he, he, had, he had a Marshall at home and he, had, he had a Les Paul <laughs> and he was a punk rock guitarist. So so we go, our first show was supposed to be in London, England. Right when we got off the airplane, he was gonna drive us like three, four hours straight to London. But because we didn't have a guitarist, um, I go, okay, we got to cancel London. Let's get to your house and show you the songs. So he had to learn the songs. That night, he stayed up all night with headphones like this. The next morning, we went and rented a lockout somewhere in England, and he learned 22 songs in four hours. Holy shit. Yeah. Good thing they're under two minutes. Yeah. <laughs> and wow. he could really retain stuff really well. He was wow. a really good guitarist. So shout out to Ryan. Saved the day. Yeah. yeah. He saved That's our whole badass. tour. He ended up, we went right after that four hour session. Our first show was in Wales and we played at the North Bar and every other show after that, it was just amazing. We were so grateful because Ryan saved the tour playing yeah. guitar, and he was our driver, so he was like, "That's awesome." So, so uh, just uh, on a footnote with that, does he play in a band now? You know? Oh yeah, he's in a couple bands. He's in a band called Wonk Unit, um, and uh, let's see, I don't know if he still does that. He, he's in two other bands. Uh, 
fight for fires. Yeah, I think that's I think that's cool. Song. Yeah, I figured he deserved a little shout out. His band. Oh yeah, no, Ryan. Ryan's he's an amazing guitar player. Yeah, awesome guy too. He I really took know. care of us. So he did so well in 2018, learning those songs on the fly. That like <laughs> we got asked to come back to Rebellion uh, in 2019. So we went from the small stage, uh, the introducing stage. I brought my daughter up there not knowing how that was going to go. It was just her idea to get up there. She's like, Daddy, can I sing with you? I'm like, yeah, I, I guess so. Let's do it. <laughs> so we get up there and actually this right here, my daughter, my daughter puts her, her foot on it. just like that. She was like standing there and that the, they lowered the mic stand all the way to the down. That's about, <laughs> she was only about this tall, you know, that's cool. And she's just standing there with the punk rock vest, like ready. I'm looking at the band. I'm like, I don't know what's going to happen, but yeah, let, let, let's, let's do it. And then I told the sound man, look, I don't know how loud she's going to sing. It's never been done before. So just watch her mic because it might be, I don't know what's going to happen. No problem, mate. I got it, you know. <laughs> and then it was funny because before the songs even started, there was all these people shooting pictures of my daughter because she was like, you know, she was five. Little flipped up hat and this little vest. And right when the songs kicked in, she just like went for it. What like tripped me out the most was that she knew the words of the songs and I never really thought you know when you drive around the car with daddy listen to punk rock you you don't really think that they're retaining everything they hear but they do like little yeah. sponges there were certain songs that were her favorites before we went there like one or two of them but what I didn't realize is she knew a lot of the words because she's screaming it into the microphone <laughs> so you had to, you know and I'm trying not to like look down and lose my focus on the audience so like i would look up and i'd be in my kind of look to my left i'm like yeah don't don't even look at her just keep going because <laughs> like but i i was pretty amazed yeah yeah man. just what she's doing but you can't have like this fatherly moment where you disconnect here yeah and yourselves like, okay we're you know we're performing we only got 30 minutes but it was pretty crazy and so when we got off stage right away my wife had filmed it because she was in the front filming and it's on youtube you can still watch that video she was five it um right when we got off stage the guy that was running that rebellion stage johnny wawa shout out to johnny he's like that was fantastic mate she's your daughter right i go yeah he's like how old is she i go five he's like okay that was amazing he's like you come back next year on the main stage uh and we're going to have you uh, play with Descendants next year on the main stage. And I said, oh, wow. okay. <laughs> so I left with that, right? And right. your daughter got you hooked up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's funny, though, because people think, like, did you, like, plan that? Or was that, like, I go, no, not at all. Like, I, it was spontaneous. We didn't rehearse with my daughter. We didn't know she was going to sing. And it just happened that way. To the blood. Yeah, it, you may have just already answered it, but I was going to ask you, what so far is the most memorable show that you've that was it that's, that's it, it. That's yeah awesome. it's, be it's, on, it's on youtube cool. i get that question a lot it's definitely that one because <laughs> my daughter surprised me you know yeah uh, my daughter still sings and she she sings with the band she likes to join me here and there not all the time but then again not all the shows are all ages you know what i mean what's the name um, of her band well she doesn't have her own band mm. but she she does sing it's her name's ezra sky if you go to ezrasky.com She's got it on website. All right. People and can check that out. Uh, 
Yeah, I've seen her play with you guys when yeah. Doug, Doug, Doug was playing drums. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. Right. yeah. <laughs> that was pretty close. To the second, right before we went to Rebellion, the second time when you yeah. saw us. Yeah, she just has a kind of. She's not afraid, and she's always loved the stage. Like since she was two years old, I used to carry on one arm, and I'd sing like this. Like she'd just be like smiling, like watching the pit from above. You know, she wasn't actually singing, but I could tell she like liked it and she liked the crowd. So um, she also used to run around the stage, but the mic wasn't plugged in. Yeah. So she, she would like, like it looked like she was singing, but she wasn't plugged in. That's so cool, when she cool. finally said, I want to sing, I'm like, all right, let's do it. Plugged her in and that was it. It just kind of like, um, so she's joined me from like five, six, Seven, we stopped because of COVID, and then eight, she performed with me at the Ventura Theater. Then we did a show at Tia Sawal when she was nine, and now she's ten, and we're gonna do punk uh, rock bowling together. So, right, and it's crazy. gonna be a young kid with their own band pretty soon, man. Yeah, that's yeah. amazing. It's gonna find the right musicians. Yeah, yeah, like, that's the hard. Uh, part. Yeah, always. The generations of in your family have grown up in music are just yeah, yeah, cool. pretty cool. Yeah, I, I can mention. There's four generations. My daughter would be the fourth generation of music in my family because my before my father, his father also did music. So you got four generations. That's, that's impressive, awesome. man. So how about uh, what is coming up for the Infirmities now? I know you mentioned uh, a few shows already, but you're working on a documentary, right? Yeah, it's been about three years. That's about right. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it's not easy. Well, yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's still not done. I mean, you know, what, what I've learned about documentaries from my experience is when you're doing a punk rock documentary, first of all, there's no money. So you, it's all, you know, you're, you're putting out money to travel and put this thing together. And it's all DIY. It's all hard work. The editing time is just horrendous. The going out and filming stuff is the fun part. It's the going back and deciding what to keep, what not to keep is probably the, the, the longer transitional part of the documentary. I've been working on a documentary now for, gosh, I don't know, three and a half years or something. Like what happened was we had some guys that were following us around and they wanted to make a documentary on infirmities. And we started playing so many shows that they just kind of bowed out. I don't know what happened to those guys. And I can't even find the footage that they shot. I've tried to find it just to add it to my documentary and I gave up. I'm like, I don't know. But they kind of gave us the idea because they saw how much we were playing. And then they, even though they disappeared and we kept playing, one day I was telling Harvey, my guitarist, I'm like, man, you know, sucks those guys disappeared, but like, we should still do that, you know, like, we're playing so many shows and touring so much, like somebody's gotta like follow us around or something, or we gotta like do something. So I started filming myself a lot with my phone. I got an iPhone and I do a lot of filming and editing on that and iMovie. So I was just saving and stashing a whole library of stuff. And then I had a guy who had interviewed us to be in a in a in a, uh, a small documentary. Well it was it was more like a what do you call that? A short film. It was a short film, and it was based on the punk rock backyard scene. And so his name's Jeremy Mowry. So Jeremy made this little movie, and we were in his documentary. 
it was like five bands were in it and he won some indie film awards for that for that little movie and it had an interview with me and harvey and it had uh us playing a a backyard show with a swimming pool in riverside <laughs> it was a lot of fun that show and uh so from that it gave me the idea that i should ask him to do the, the documentary because at least he has some experience you know and i need a guy that kind of knows what he's doing um so i had lunch with jeremy and he's like yeah i'm i'm down to help you out i've been looking for a new project and i go well there's kind of this one problem there's no money so are you cool with that he's like <laughs> you know like that's like the punk rock like yeah. after the cheeseburger it's like well just want to be clear there's no money so he's like no i figured that he's like maybe when the movie comes out one day someone will come back and hopefully he's like but i'm not even in it for that i'll do it right. so jeremy helped me for about up until like this past year jeremy took a full-time job teaching at uh the last the la college at uh, teaching animation so his now his strongest point was always doing animation stuff like he can make puppets and make a move and make like like old school claymation stuff but also like like lego stuff like cool. he's really good he's won awards for a lot of his animation stuff nice um but that's really his main focus and he, he was like you know to be honest jay i never really was a director you know you wanted me to become your director but the truth is i'm more of an animation guy like mm. He's like, you should probably pass it on to a real director. You know, like, I'll give all my footage. Like, Are you sure? I feel like, you know, you, you've been so diehard with me. And, but he's like, yeah, but I just don't have time. And I don't want your documentary to, like, freeze in some in time. And you need to get it done, you know? Some selfish of him. Give yeah. up all that footage and all that work again. Yeah, and I told him, well, I still want your name. He's like, no, no, no. Get, the, get another director. His name goes up there. He's like, just give me some in the credits. Credit me for the videos and the... Cool. So, wow. so I got a, I bought a hard drive, and I put all the footage on there, and then um, I ended up reaching out to another old friend who uh, has known me since I was about ten years old. He came to my birthday party when I was ten. He was good friends with my father, and he worked in the film industry already. And he had worked with George Romero uh, from Night of the Living Dead. He had directed other films. He had uh, done interviews with Stan Lee from Marvel Comics. So he was somebody who was really like seasoned in working in the film industry. And I thought, man, if anyone could direct my film and I'd have the most confidence, it'd probably be Leo. Um, but I wasn't sure about asking him because I knew like one, I have no money and two, um, he's probably busy. Like, you know, just looking at his Facebook page, he was always at conventions or talking to people working on Black Panther or working on Batman or whatever. He's just always like involved. In, in, in the film industry so and his brother is um so there's leo partable is his name his brother is van partable who created uh johnny bravo the cartoon yeah that's his brother so okay. yeah so shout out to those guys so and here's the cool part though they're originally from salinas too <laughs> oh okay so this is where it all ties all right. in so leo went to my birthday party when i was around 10 and um he was recording his original music in my dad's studio back then. So he's also he's also a musician. So when I asked Leo, it was around the time 2020 was hitting. We had nothing going on. He'd come by to jam on some songs. And we were just hanging out. And he got to meet my daughter. He drew her a picture and stuff. He does, like, really cool, like, um, comic book art type stuff. 
And he had asked me to be in a film that he was making uh, and do some like cameo stuff and he just wanted to get me involved. So we were doing that and at the time, you know, Jeremy was telling me he was going to leave, you know, he, he couldn't take on the, the, the documentary anymore. So I told Leo, I said, hey man, um, I was going to ask you something. <laughs> like, yeah, I've got, you know, I've been working on this documentary. He knew about the documentary. And I said, yeah, you know, my director seems like, you know, he's, he's getting too busy. And I want to know what you thought about directing it. And um, he's like, man, I know how hard you've been working on that thing, like, for years. I go, yeah, but I, I need someone with, like, real vision, you know. I, I feel like I'm feeding the vision of this film, but I, I need someone like you because you're, like, you're good at screenwriting. You're good at, like, all that stuff. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, okay. He's like, I'll do it. You know what I mean? So it just kind of, it just, it's been really fun working with Leo on it. Right. Because he comes up with these ideas that I haven't thought of. And, and we just, we just click. Like every time when it, like, even when I leave here, we're probably going to meet up at Denny's right now after this. And we, we just feed off of each other's ideas. Um, he, he'll be like, you know, it'd be really cool if we did this on the train tracks. And then when you go over here, and then next time I come to Selena's, we'll film the film you in the old neighborhood where you grew up. We'll go back to that house. So we're trying to make the film feel very, you know, like a grassroots type of thing where you, it feels like not just a punk rock documentary that has like interviews with, you know, that's what you do. You put interviews with people in there. Like we've got Jack Grissom in there, HR from Bad Brains is in it, um, Reagan Muse in it doing an interview. Agent Orange is in it, uh, Black Dahlia's in it. But the thing is, you don't want to just make your documentary just be that. Like, I wanted to feel like it's got an interview with my dad in there. You know, it's got my best friends that I grew up with in there. So my whole thing is like having a a film that people watch that where they really feel that hometown vibe right. and that family vibe, not just yeah. like a punk rock story. So. Sounds cool, man. Right. Yeah. It's really cool. I mean, being a working as a I don't know, whatever PA with these guys, it's fun to see people with chemistry bounce ideas off one another and yeah. being on the same page and watching things progress. It's fun to watch. I bet you've had a great time. Mm. You know, a lot of work, but I bet it's been satisfying. It's been really fun. Yeah. Good, Good deal, man. That sounds great. Cool. All right. So that's awesome. That's what you got coming up. All right. Yeah, well we got but that's coming up. We're gonna release the trailer this summer. Oh, very cool. Yeah, we've been, uh, you know, now that Leo's on the project, he's like, we got to get the trailer out. I'm like, all right. Are you holding on to the title or have you... No, it's called um, Just a Kid from Salinas. It's the name of the... the very cool. Yeah. Can't wait to see that trailer. Yeah. It's awesome. You, you said you had a show with The Exploited coming up too? Yeah, we got a show at the Santa Cruz Vets Hall coming up with The Exploited and Total Chaos. Nice. And we have another show coming up with Death by Stereo and Ignite. Right. And that's going to be at Palmdale at cool. Transplants. And uh, we're playing Crash Festival in Portland, Oregon with GBH and Fang. And, that's a uh, rad luck now, too. Yeah, <laughs> Lang 77. Rad. Well, that's going to be in October. Man, you've got some um, great shows coming up. Yeah, we've had a really crazy, amazing year. It's been like one of those years where every month has been like some like unreal show that we're on. We're like, and it's just been consecutive. Like it started in January that way. Yeah. Like in January, we had um, a show with 
ill repute fang install like 13 that was january so right on like we kicked off the year like that <laughs> so <laughs> and then it just like it just kept going like every show was like great this year yeah honestly and i don't want to go i don't want i mean we're about to wrap this up i know and i don't want to yeah. keep it too long but do you feel like post COVID there's been a kick in the ass for people? Like we need to get the scene back rolling. Like people seem to be way more into putting together these like epic lineups and getting back on the road and putting together more shows. People are more active than pre COVID, right? I feel like it's just been a re rejuvenation, you know? I think I think, you know, punk rock's never gone away. But I think what's happened is there's been like a resurge of bands wanting to get out and play more than ever right now i think that you know we wrote a song about what it was like being on lockdown it's called welcome to sublock earth and it's it's kind of like an anthem when we play now everybody sings along with it and so even though that's gone away even though we're not on lockdown and everybody went through that and understands the vibe of it it's like we're still living in this kind of weird Thing afterwards <laughs> yeah. well so you and know it so, can go away yeah and now that you know it can go away people are like when did you get back out there this yeah be next year you never know exactly so, cool. one thing is it made bands get off their butts and uh they're really out there touring more you yeah know what i mean and, well we all benefit as fans so we're all yeah. stoked man yeah it's good it's awesome man but um yeah i think it's been a great interview any any final words of wisdom um i i would just say like if you come from a small town like mine you know like i'm from right here salinas california <laughs> um you know i would kind of encourage any you know new bands just starting out i mean don't don't let anything hold you back and don't give up if you i mean the real message of the documentary that we've been working on for three years is that i wanted to inspire you know, like a young punk rocker in a small town. Yeah. That, you know, he can leave his town and take it anywhere and make it happen. I mean, um, you know, I, I may have not come to Los Angeles till I was 35 years old, but I'll tell you that by the time I was 35, I was like, I need to get out there and give it a shot just to get out of my system. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. If it's it doesn't, if it doesn't happen, mm -hmm. right. then at least I know I, I gave it everything but I But you had to give it a shot. You had to know if you could do it or not. Yeah, because I didn't really go in my 20s. I just had other stuff going on. And I did play shows, but not, not in Los Angeles. And once I took it to LA, we just took off. It just kept going and going and going. And I just, I would just tell, you know, to anyone just starting out in bands, you know, if if you really want to do something, you know, just get out there and do it. I mean, there's nothing really holding you back. Yeah. Great advice. And and don't let members leaving your band end your dream either. Um, one thing about infirmities that I didn't mention is we have an infirmities army. It's not a regular band like most bands. And when I say that, I mean that if one guy can't make it, we have other subs that come in so that we can make all the shows. So one thing I really, would advise to young bands is, you know, we all want to be the same four guys or five guys, but if it doesn't work out, you know, you can't let that, you know, determine the future of your band. And if you really want something and you really want to get it out there, then you need to just not give up and find other people. So we have a lot of subs and everyone in my band's good with it. 
Yeah. And my guys say, I can't make that one, give it to David, or hey, I can't make that one, go ahead and call Johnny. You know, it's That's like, cool, because it's hard to put aside egos and bands. Yeah. If somebody steps in for, somebody can't make a show, somebody subs in, there's yeah. still weirdness sometimes. Oh, yeah. You know, so that's really cool yeah, you're able to do that. Well, so everyone's cool, yeah. 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 Well, yeah. Cool. That's great advice. Yeah, sounds man. like you're even covered in the UK when you go over there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yep. that's awesome. Dude. Cool, man. <laughs> yeah. Right on, man. Well, hey, thanks for coming out, and uh, where can people find you? Um, everything has, it says We Are Infirmity, so Facebook, we're under We Are Infirmities, um, Instagram, we are infirmities. We have a YouTube channel with over a hundred live uh, videos on it. Once again, the YouTube channels. We are infirmities. Um, you can buy our merchandise at maltsoda.com. You can find uh, infirmities skate that skateboard decks there. You can find um, uh, some of our vinyls are still there, different colored ones, um, blue, white. So they're actually the only ones that still have some of our vinyl because all of ours are sold out from shows. Uh, but big shout out to Scooter. He's actually, we are working on some new stuff that we're putting out. Uh, we have an Infirmities Live at the Fox Theater album coming out from my hometown. Sweet. We have a full length album coming out with 21 songs. Cool. Um, so yeah, we are, there's stuff down the pipe. Awesome. Looking forward to it. Yeah, for sure. Thank you for coming in. Yeah, thanks, thanks for having yeah. me. Guys. Yeah, absolutely. Good times, dude. Right. All right. That's, cool. That's it.